welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. We just started our, as, as was mentioned before, our uh, family tree series. So we're looking at the family tree of Jesus, his ancestry. And uh, this morning, Pete looked at, at Adam. And hopefully you all went home and did your homework. It'll, in Luke chapter 3, we see the genealogy of, uh, of, of Jesus. We see the genealogy right from Adam through to Jesus. And it takes us through those steps. And there's a number of people in that ancestry. And the reality is that that's there. And it shows not only from a historical point of view, but the people along the way, the people in that genealogy all have a specific purpose in leading up to the birth of Christ. And, you know, the reality is we, we all have a genealogy. We all have an ancestral background. There's not one of us here that doesn't have ancestors. That's, that's the reality. You know, some are good, some are a bit dodgy. Actually, I got some dodgy ones. I mean, I won't go into too much detail, but, you know, my, my ancestry, my ancestral background is, is, is kind of mixed. On, on my dad's side, it's from British aristocracy. Okay, so I'm a snob on that side of it. All right? But on my mum's side, oh, that's where it gets cagey. <laughs> it's dodgy. You know, my mum was a showgirl. All right? So, yeah. Okay? But, you know, we, so as, as a family, we've kind of sort of divided into two. I don't know whether you're very familiar with the, the series, Mrs. Bucket, you know, the, uh, Keeping Up Appearances, uh, Mrs. Bouquet. Well, every time I watch that, I think of my sister. Because she seems to, you know, I mean, I'm as, I'm as ocker as they get, you know. When you talk about, you know, British aristocracy, well, I couldn't be further removed from that. You know, that's just the way I am. And... But my sister's kind of taken, on, taken that on board because that is our family history. That's our family background. And there's nothing wrong with that one way or the other. There's nothing wrong with the way I look at it and there's nothing wrong with the way that she looks at it. Well, at least that's what she'll tell you. <laughs> but it is good to know, and I don't know, you know, when we talk about uh, family history, it's, it's good to know little bits because I don't know anything more than that. I don't know, you know, Pete asked this morning if, you know, if we know our grandparents' names and or great-grandparents. I've got no idea. I've, you know, I know my dad's name. That's, a, that's, that's it. It was, it was dad. <laughs> you know, and mum, well, she's mum. That's, that's easy. All right. But my grandparents were all gone before I, uh, before I came on the scene, so I never got to know them, and I never learnt their names. So I was really never... Never a need, so um, that's just the way that is. So we're over the next few weeks. We're looking at Jesus' family tree, and tonight, like I said before, uh, Pete spoke about Adam this morning and talked about original sin and how the reason that the world is in so much trouble, effectively, is 
Adam and Eve's fault, you know, at the end of the day. But that started God's plan in motion. You know, God had a plan right from the beginning. And that plan was Jesus. And had to start somewhere. So Adam was the first person in that ancestral lineage. Jesus was the last. And along the way, there's a man called Abraham. And some of you may know of Abraham. You might have heard of him. And when you're reading your Bible, you might come across two people. There's a man called Abram and a man called Abraham. They're the same person. He had a bit of a name change through the process. So we won't go into too much detail about how that happened. But when you're doing your homework and reading from Genesis 12 through to about chapter 25, as that's the period that's looking at Abraham and Abram, um, you'll see that they're the same person. So Now, he was born a bit over 4,000 years ago. That's a long time, you know. So that works out to, if he was like my granddad, that's probably around about, 140, 135, 140 greats in front of that. Okay? So that's, that's a lot. That's a long way back. So from you know, Jesus' point of view, there's a lot of time before that. It was about 2,000 years before Christ was born. Abraham walked the earth. He grew up in a, in a place called Ur. I don't know why it was called Ur. It's probably because they didn't speak a lot and people would say, well, where are you from? It's, uh... you know, that was, so he grew up there. And then he moved to a place called Haram with his dad and stayed there for a little while. He was a very wealthy man. Very wealthy. He made mistakes along the way on his journey as recorded in the Bible. He didn't do everything perfectly. And I mean, that, I can relate to that because I don't know about you, but I don't do everything perfectly in my life. All right? But even though he made mistakes, he had lots of failings, he did all sorts of, you know, he did some crazy, stupid stuff. But his life was summed up by one phrase. And it's found in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6, where it says, Abram, he was still called Abram back then. But Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He believed the Lord and that was credited to him as righteousness. It wasn't his good deeds that were credited to him as righteousness. It wasn't his pleading for Sodom and Gomorrah as he did down the track. It wasn't his amazing obedience because he was an obedient person but it was his faith it was his great level of faith that was recognized by God and God said I'll credit this that righteousness that that faith to you as righteousness all of your good deeds in that sense on their own mean nothing but the faith combined with that is your righteousness so that created like if you like a bit of a a deposit in his heavenly bank account his faith towards God so what is faith I mean it's a bit of a funny word I mean a lot of people use use the word faith 
in a number of different ways. But ultimately, faith is an absolute assurance. It's being absolutely certain of what we cannot see. And it's outworked in what we do. Give you an example. This this bottle of water. Sorry, it's open. This bottle of water. Even though I can see the water in it, it's nice and clear. It's it's pure. But I don't know the person that put it in there. I don't know what they've done to it. It was open, so I don't even know. You know, even after it's been open, I know something could have happened to it. I don't know that. But the reality is that I have faith that nothing's happened to it. That I have faith that this is pure water. That the people that put it in the bottle didn't switch it over with meth. Or vodka. All right. I believe it's pure water. But that's one thing for me to say that, but it's not until I go like this. That it's outworked. That's when I put that faith into practice. That's the type of faith that Abraham had. A faith that was not just a... I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, but never do, 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 do. It was a faith that was in practice. It was a faith that was outworked. And tonight, as we look at Abraham, I want to have a look at a few things, that, at three things that Abraham can teach us about faith. The Bible says that we need faith to please God. So it's important that we know these things. So tonight, as we, as we look at these things, I want you to take on board. I want you to understand that it's not enough to just say, I have faith. It's important. It's, we need to understand what that faith is and how it works in our lives. So the first point that I have, the first thing that we learn from Abraham is with regards to faith, is that faith waits. When you have faith, you have to be patient. That's a reality. And in Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through to 2, says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant, And bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. That's the key words that at the very time that God had promised him. Because you've got to understand, let's have a look at a little bit of Abraham here. When he is 75 years old and he's still living with his mum and dad, or his dad at least. So he lives with his dad until he's 75. He's got a wife and friends and another family. He hasn't got any kids yet, though. 
And at 75 years old, God tells him that his offspring will inherit the land. 75. My offspring are going to inherit the land. Okay, well, that's okay. Yeah, I'm 75. There's still a bit of a chance. Sarah's looking pretty hot. Yeah, sure, she's 65. But, well, we can work through. You know, she is. She's gorgeous, all right? You know, she's... So, I'm like, yeah, okay, all right, God, if you say it, I believe it, no worries at all. No problems at all. All right? Ten years later, still nothing. I got to admit, I wonder sometimes if Sarah's not fallen pregnant yet because, see, God had said to Abraham, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars. So I wonder if he spent most of his time out there. One, two. Sarah's on the edge of the tent saying, honey, I'm here. You know, I don't know. But the reality is that 10 years had gone past and still nothing happened. So you've got to start to wonder, you know, at this particular moment, But 10 years later, God says to him again, you are going to have so many descendants. You are not going to be able to count them. There's going to be so many. This promise is to a guy in his mid-80s. Yeah, right. I'm getting tired here, God. I'm getting old. Hello, look at this body. You know, I mean, I'm only just over 35. And... So I can tick that box too, which is really good that I'm able to tick that same box. And I could not imagine having another child now, let alone in my mid-80s. But if God says so, well, I trust. And the faith that Abraham has here, it says, okay, if you say that's the case, I'll give it a go. That's fine. So I'm sure that he thought, okay, I'll stop counting the stars and I'll try and go and make it happen. In fact, that's exactly what happened. But that kind of messed things up because he got a little bit impatient at that time. See, God had said to him, you're going to have descendants as numerous as the stars. And he says, okay, yeah, cool. But Sarah, his wife, listening in and laughing thinking as if alright come on right, we can't wait any longer honey All right, I know don't worry about me just take my young Egyptian maidservant and go and have a child with her now this was probably a really difficult decision for Abraham his 80. 76-year-old wife, getting on, she's offering Hagar. Now, strange, you know, I don't know about you, but it, like, when I think of Hagar, <laughs> I, I, the only picture I get is, is Hagar the Horrible, the cartoon. Now, so I'm sure, I'm sure she didn't look like that. But he's got a gorgeous 76-year-old wife, and she's offering her maidservant called Hagar. 
And he says, okay, well, we'll give that a go. So he, <laughs> that's what he did. Right? And he says, whatever, like, okay, well, it's been a little while. I'm not getting any younger. Maybe I do. You know, maybe we need to give God a little bit of a hand. Maybe, maybe God's, I'm not saying that God's missed the mark here because I still believe, but maybe we just need to help him a bit. So I'll take the maidservant and off we go. And what do you know? She gets pregnant. So it obviously wasn't Abraham's fault. That kind of messes things up. I mean, I won't go into the details, but through history, that process has kind of messed things up because they took things into their own hands. They wanted to be God's little helpers. And sometimes that's what happens with us. We take, we take God's plan and we kind of put our own little spin on it. So we get impatient and we miss the mark. And that's what happened here. And all sorts of problems arose out of having Ishmael born, who was born to, to Hagar. And, uh, and that caused all sorts of problems, purely because Abraham and Sarah didn't wait. They, they had that moment, and I'm sure it was just a moment, where they failed to, to keep their focus on what God had said, that he was going to come through. So after that, they oh, okay, well, I keep waiting and patiently and waiting, waiting, waiting. And eventually, at 100 years old, at 99, they get a visit again. God visits them and says, this time next year, you're going to have a baby with your wife, Sarah. Wow. God, look at her. She's gorgeous, but she's old. Look at me. I'm a hundred. Come on. Sarah is at the tent. Hearing, thinking. And she laughs. She cracks up. She says, how can this be? When I'm so old. When my my husband is so old. When I'm so old. I I can't have kids anymore. This is... (laughs) You're such a kidder. Right? And God says, No, it's going to happen. And because you laughed, you're going to call him Isaac, which means to laugh. I think God's got a sense of humor. And when the timing was right, see, it seemed, you know, we've just finished our upside down series. And in the natural, to be a hundred, to wait that long for God's promise to actually come to fruition seemed crazy. It just was stupid. It didn't make any sense at all. But in God's timing, it was all perfect. It was all right. See, going back to this water bottle, you know, water's good for you. Water's great for you. But I remember as a, as a kid, I always loved to drink lots of water. But my parents, after about sort of 8 o'clock at night, 7 o'clock at night, they wouldn't let me drink any water. Because if I did, 
it wasn't pleasant later in the night. But there was nothing wrong with the water. But it was just the right time. Always had to be at the right time. And they knew better than I did. As a little kid, I didn't know what the right time was. Eating dinner. Love to have dessert. And if it was if it was my choice, or if it was my kids' choice when they were growing up, they'd have dessert at the beginning of the meal. But that wasn't the right time. As a parent, I had to set some things in motion and say, okay, hang on, you can have that. The promise is there. The promise of dessert is there waiting for you. The promise of the after-dinner goodies are there waiting for you, but you've got to have them at the right time. See, and God knows in our lives as our heavenly Father, as the, as, as the God who knows everything about us and what's best for us and wants what's best for us, he knows when the right time is. So waiting isn't necessarily easy as Abraham and Sarah and Hagar found out. But it's worth it because God's timing is perfect timing. It's the same for us living a life of faith. When God gives us a promise, it doesn't mean that it'll be right now. But when the time is right and he knows when the time is right, he knows when the time is right, it will happen. The second, um, the second, the second thing, suffering thuckatash, better have a drink of water. The second thing we, I did it again. Hang on. The second thing is that not only does faith need to wait, but faith works. Faith isn't some ethereal, weird thing, you know, that, that, that sort of is out there and has no. It's a tangible thing. It's a tangible thing. In James chapter 2, verse 21 to 22, it says, Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith. And his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. As you're reading through, as you're doing your homework, reading through in this account in Genesis, you'll see that the son that Abraham had waited for for a hundred years, God said to him, Sacrifice him. You know? I don't know about you, but I've thought about doing that to my kids, but God's just never spoken to me like that as they've grown up. But this wasn't a whim. This wasn't Abraham saying, that's it, I've had enough. I'm putting you on the table and I'm going to sacrifice you to God. This was an order from God. This was a, an act of obedience. This was God saying, okay, all that I've given you, this wonderful promise that you've been waiting for for so long... Who's more important, me or him? We always need to remember that the gift that God gives us 
no matter how long we wait for it, is always less important than the giver. He is always the one. And this was an act of obedience. This was God, it was, it was Abraham saying, yeah, okay, I, I, I will do this because I know that it's not enough for me to just say, I believe. It's not enough for me to say, yeah, thank you, Lord. Oh, of course, whatever you want, whatever you, whatever you say, even if you wanted me to sacrifice my son, Lord God, I would do it for you. Thinking, oh, he's never going to ask me to do that. That's cool. I'm safe. All right. I'm happy to go over to India and lay my life down, do whatever. I'm thinking, oh, I'm safe. No, that's never going to happen. Oops. Yeah. Because God does ask for our obedience. And faith is an outworking of that obedience. Faith is not the intangible. Faith is works saying I believe is just the starting point there needs to be more one of my favorite stories in uh, that I've heard over the years is a story of a bear it was a Russian bear that was was born and uh, into a circus and it was the moment it was born or the moment it was weaned was put into a cage that cage was about 20 foot long and 10 foot wide. And from the moment it could walk, it just started pacing back and forth. And of course, as a small bear, it was not a problem. It just paced back and forth, 20 feet one way, 20 feet the next way, the next, the back. And it did that day after day after day, year after year. And as it grew, the bear grew bigger, but the cage Seemed to grow smaller. And every waking moment, every sleeping moment, every single moment of its life was spent in that cage. The only time the door was opened was to sweep out or squirt out the cage. And it lived its life being poked by people, looking at, you know, come at, people would throw cigarette butts at it, burn it, do horrible, all sorts of horrible things. But this bear, all it did every day was walk 20 feet, took about five steps. That way, then back again. Day in, day out. One day, a group of animal activists took on the plight of this bear. And they managed to get enough money to buy it from the circus and get it freed. And I went through a whole process, and I won't go into too much detail for the sake of time, but eventually they built a new enclosure at a zoo and they... They removed the cage and they, they, they got the bear out of the cage. And he, for the first time in his life, he felt soft grass under his feet. He felt freedom. And he looked around. No bars, no walls, no cage. He was free. And he, and he moved. And he went 20 feet. This was the furthest he'd ever walked in his life. In his entire existence. That's as far as he had ever gone. 
And he turned around and he walked back again. You see, the reality is that he was free, but he didn't know it. And that's sometimes how we live our lives. We're free, but we don't know it. We don't live it because all he had to do was take that next step. And sometimes that's all we've got to do in our walk of faith is take that next step. Take that next step into true freedom. Take that next step into true liberty that Christ has born for us on the cross. But sometimes all we do is we just, yeah, I believe. I, I, know, I, can, I know I can cross that line. I know I can go that next step. Yep, I believe it. Thank you, Lord. You set me free. Thank you. Oh, it's great. It's wonderful. And I sing. We sing songs and we, we do great things. And we know that there's hurting and dying people out there. And I know, yeah, Lord, I'm, I care about those people. I know that those people need you. I know that my life needs to shine. I need to be able to feed the poor. I, need, I know if I cross that line, I know that I can help them. Thank you, Lord, for that call. That's great. And then we just turn around. We've got to step over that line. We've got to take that next step of obedience. Because that is faith in action. And through that step of putting faith in action, that act of obedience and faith working, we see that the next step where faith witnesses to those around us. Genesis chapter 21 verse 22 says, At that time Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. God is with you in everything you do. Abimelech and, and Phicol had seen Abraham's life. They'd seen him doing what he was called to do. They'd seen God's blessing in his life. They'd seen his life of faith and obedience. And they're saying, hey, I see something. I see something in this. This man... There's something in here. God is in everything that you do. God is with you in everything that you do. This is like your friends and family and your workmates, your, your school friends, whatever, coming to you and saying, I see something at work in you. I see something different in you. I see that, I don't know what it is. But your life is blessed. Your life is different. What is it? I want to know. That's how our lives, a life of faith, should witness to those around us. It's not about us ear bashing people. It's not about us Bible bashing people, if you, you know, for want of a better word. But it's about us living our lives of faith and letting that faith outwork in our lives in everything that we do, and people will see it. People, it's that is the witness. In us, to those around us. When I, um, many years ago, when we, we had the shop, there was a guy who owned another shop, and he used to give us a hard time, seriously hard time, about being Christians. He would stir us up 
big time. Sometimes quite aggressively. You know, if you didn't know how to handle this guy, he was a real problem. But day after day, he saw God working in us. And he never acknowledged that till one day he got sick. He got very sick. And I went to deliver the chicken to his shop. He says, Mog. She said, I'm sick. And he told me the story. And he says, I'm just wondering, can you pray for me? There's a guy who was totally anti-Christian. He was totally anti-God. He didn't want to know anything about God. But when the moment arose, he knew where to turn to. He knew that God was his only hope. And he knew that that God lived in me. And that I had an answer. Not because of me constantly telling him or anything like that. But just life. Living that life of faith as a witness to him. And that's how we can be. If I took this drink bottle and I said, oh, I love this water, this is great water, it's beautiful, but I never drank it. What, what evidence is there that you should believe me? I can say that all I like, but if you don't see the evidence in me, it means nothing. One of the, my favorite shows on TV is Man vs. Wild. Yeah. Ah. Good old Bear grills. When he comes to a stream, he looks at it. And he thinks, oh, yeah, the, the water's clear. And you think, oh, well, that, that, that's, that's good. But before he has a drink out of it, he looks for evidence that it's pure. He looks for evidence that of life, evidence of life that he can trust that water looks for yabbies and things like that that's the evidence and when people look at our lives they should see the evidence of God in us they should see that purity of faith of God working through us in everything that we do people are looking at us at our lives for that evidence So through that life of faith that we see Abraham live, we see him wait patiently, even though there was a bit of a hiccup along the way. He still waited way beyond, I've got to admit, I'd be struggling to wait 100 years. I, in fact, I struggled to wait for, you know, digital TVs? How they don't change the channel straight away? It drives me nuts. I, I'm seriously, that's how impatient. You know, I, I struggle with it. Bit of a confession there. But so to wait, <laughs> to, to wait a hundred years, I would really seriously struggle. But he did. 
messed up a little bit along the way, but he still waited patiently, and that was the sign of his faith. When it came time for obedience, he unquestionably obeyed. He says, no matter what, you are more important than the gift that you've given me. I lay it on the altar. Here it is. If you say it, if God, if you tell me, I will do. That was how his faith was, faith was outworked. And his faith was seen. The outworking of that faith was seen in others. And they were drawn to God in the process. And that's how we need to live our lives. We need to wait patiently. We need to work. We need to put that faith into action. And we need to let that faith be seen by others. To let that work work out into other people's lives. You know, maybe tonight you don't know the God that I'm talking about with the having faith. What is this faith? Faith in, faith in what? Because we all have faith to a level. We all have faith in something. But the key is what do you have your faith in? I know that I got my faith in an awesome God who had a plan that started with Adam that finished with Jesus. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.